welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. How many of you are under 21? Would you raise your hands? And would you like to sing this morning? Yeah, of course you do. Thank you for that. Have you ever heard of a song? Bob Spencer told me you wouldn't do this. And I think you will. So let's, let's prove him wrong, okay? Do you know this song? Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. A little bit louder for Bob. Glorify thy name in all the earth. From the front row. Glorify thy name. Front row only. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the earth. You're making me feel really stupid. (laughs) Okay, question. What would it cost the Father? That's a prayer. That's a song that's a prayer. What would it cost the Father to fulfill that prayer? Okay, you ready for verse 2? You know what's great? Do you remember me two weeks ago and there was all these... Kids in the front row, and then none of them are here now. They're gone. They're like, they're, they went to another church. <laughs> You're dead meat. I'm just going to talk to you the whole time, but, I, but uh, in heaven you will forgive me. Okay. Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. A little bit louder. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Only Bob. I'm Luke. Luke. Only Luke. Sorry. Glorify thy name, glorify thy name, everybody, glorify thy name in all the earth. They wanted somebody to preach today, they found someone who wouldn't be embarrassed. Okay, third verse, you've never heard this, I'll sing it for you. Me, I love me, I care for and adore me, glorify myself in Carmel. As far as possible, glorify myself, glorify myself, glorify myself in Carmel. Okay. Two weeks ago, we talked about unlikely glory, and we we learned that glory is found in the most unlikely of places in the whole universe. And we're going to continue that in John 12. If you're not in John 12, uh, turn there. But you know what? Those three verses uh, all are appropriate, if we mean the third verse even, in the right way. If we find glory in the right spot, it's okay. Think about it like this. Uh, God, who is all glorious, and God exists for his own glory, that God created people, men and women, to give him glory, and he was going to glorify them as well. So Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They are naked. They don't even know they're naked. They're not nude in the way that we are nude in in the modern sense. They are naked, but they're clothed with the glory of God. They disobey God. They sin, and everything changes, and then they become self-conscious, and they make clothes for themselves, and then God makes clothes for them. And watch this. The rest of the Bible, in a sense, is the story of God giving us, again, clothes of glory. You say, where is that in the Bible? Well, think about the prophets. They speak of putting on garments of praise or garments of righteousness 
Or think about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we long not to be unclothed, but to be clothed. And he's talking about this this glory that's going to come to the children of God. So, So we're being stretched and we're waiting for glory. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right about uh, that, assuming that we find the glory in the right place. But here's what I want us to see. This ties into what we looked at last uh, two weeks ago. All glory comes with a price. All glory comes with a price. So there was an artist in this church years ago named DeWitt Whistler Jane. Anybody remember him? Some, yeah, he good, became very good friends with Lisa and, and mine. I actually did both of their funerals when they went to be with Jesus. And he was a great artist, but you see a a good art, a piece of art in one of the galleries here in Carmel, and the painting glorifies the artist. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, That does not come without a price. DeWitt Jane studied for years and practiced for years before he ever sold a piece of art. I bumped into a young woman with four young sons, beautiful little guys. I bumped into her at a, at a tennis club, and I said, are those all yours? And she looked at me and said, they sure are, and big smile. You know, the, the, the sons were her glory, and that comes with a price, you know? About $200,000 each in our society. But that, the, that was her glory. Or, or if you watch uh, the Olympics and you watch the ice skating, and you say, wow, look at that triple sautau, axle rod, whatever. And it's beautiful. And you say, it looks so effortless, right? You say, how, how did she do that? How does he do that? Well, it comes at a huge price of day after day after day of practice. All glory comes at a price. We're coming today into John 12, and we're going to see the price of the glory of God and the price of our glory. So with that in mind, uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to pick it up in John chapter 12. And I encourage you just to hear God's word, but keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at the words specifically. But here we go. Here's what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And then John explains, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus answered, the light is with you a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. 
When Jesus had said these things, he hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs among them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Well, we're going to look at this price of glory, and we're going we're to do it in a couple of ways. We're going we're to talk about glory and the troubled soul of Jesus, and glory and the troubled soul of belief. I'm really glad the fifth graders all the way through uh, senior citizens were all in here together. Uh, there is nothing that I'm going to say that none of you, there, everyone in this room can understand everything that we're going to see from God's word. But let's look at this first section, glory and the troubled soul of Jesus. Again, tying this back to a couple of weeks ago, Jesus has finally said that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and then he begins to talk about dying on the cross. Those next verses are something of a parenthesis, but in verse 27, go ahead and look at it, he comes right back to the issue of the hour of his glory. And what does he say? Now my soul is troubled. That word for troubled, uh, his soul is suke. It's translated life earlier in the passage. Jesus is going to pray, but first he thinks about what he is going to pray. Have you ever done that? You've been in a small group and you say, boy, we've got some issue over here. We need to pray about this. What, how should we pray? Jesus is, in a sense, talking to himself. How should we pray? What should I say? Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No, I won't pray that. I will pray, Father, glorify your name. All right. Everybody under 21, I want to tell you something. You're going to learn something here. That prayer, let, let's say the prayer together. Father, glorify your name. And now let's say it all together. Father, glorify your name. That prayer summarizes everything. The purpose of the universe is the glory of God. The purpose of God is the glory of God. The purpose of God becoming flesh, the Christmas story, is the glory of God. The purpose of the teachings of Jesus is the glory of God. Your purpose, my purpose, ultimately is the glory of God. The purpose of the cross is the glory of God. Father, glorify your name. But let's ask, if that's true, why does Jesus hesitate? Why this inner dialogue? Why is his soul troubled? Because his goal, the goal of Jesus, to glorify the Father, watch this, 
That will come with a high price. A high, the high price of glory. Let me just give you a little aside here, a little parenthesis. Every one of us in this room, I found out, I've been, this is my fourth week here teaching. I found out you've got troubles. I didn't, I didn't know that there were troubles in Carmel. I thought everything was just great up here. But you're a lot like people in Santa Barbara. We've all got troubles. Our kids are not behaving. Our parents are not behaving. You know, can you say amen to that part? And, and uh, we, we live in a fallen world, and there's a lot of trouble. And we pray accordingly. We say, Lord, get me out of this mess. What would happen if the first thing we prayed was this? Father, I'm not sure what you're going to do here, but glorify your name. Does anyone know the name Nancy Guthrie? Great Christian author, speaker. If you ever see a book with her name on it, get it and read it. She's just profound, wonderful woman. But she bore two children that had some medical condition that I cannot pronounce. And uh, she knew that those children would die at birth. They were born alive, but they would not live. And she pondered how people were praying for her. They kept praying for healing for change, for, for God to do a miracle. And she said, fair enough, that's a good prayer. But she said, uh, she has a, a talk, you might even want to get it, it's on the internet, it's called, uh, I think it's called something like Nine Ways to Make Your Church Safe for People Who Are Sad, something like that. Very, very deep. But she says the mature church knows to pray for more than just healing, but to pray that in our suffering... God would be glorified. Now you think about how our lives and our churches would change if this was the first prayer we prayed. God, not sure what you're going to do, but would you receive glory from this? Okay, that's the end of the parenthesis. Main point today, get, get this and I go home happy. Glory, all glory comes at a cost. And the cost of Jesus giving glory to the Father is infinitely high. It's a high price. This is not Costco glory. Now, one of the curious truths we see here is the, we might call it the hesitancy of Jesus to die. He is anything but resigned or dispassionate. He's in complete control. We know that. But his spirit is troubled. It means to be shaken, to be stirred up. So when you're in a philosophy class in college, you're going to learn about the death of Socrates. Socrates died 399 B.C., 400 years before Christ. And he has to, basically, he takes his own life in Athens, and he goes to his own death very whimsically. He's almost cracking jokes about his death, one of the great philosophers of the Western world. But Jesus is not like that at all. Jesus is anything but lighthearted in Luke's gospel. Jesus is praying on the night of his death, and he, Luke tells us that Drops of blood came out of his head like sweat. Earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, he says, I have a baptism with which I'm going to be baptized. And he says, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Or in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, the writer tells us that Jesus offered up loud prayers and supplications with cries and tears. And in John's gospel, we just get four words, my soul is troubled. 
Remember when, when we used to go to the movies? I'll tell you, high school, there used to be these things called movie theaters, and you go in and watch a movie, now you just see it at home. But one time, Lisa and I were at a movie, and it was crowded. We got there, I guess, a little late, and we didn't get to sit to, to, together. And it, I don't even remember what the movie was. I remember the story, though, but she, uh, she's kind of interacts with the movie, and it's, it must have been a scary movie or something, and she grabs the guy next to him a couple times in the scary parts and just grabs him. Oh, I'm so sorry, you know. And then I think he enjoyed it, but... Uh... <laughs> but when you come out of the theater, you know it was what? Just a movie. And you know those actors on the screen were high pay, highly paid, and they're probably friends, and they had dinner after they shot that really scary scene, and it's just a movie. The drama in the gospel is not just a movie. Hear this, hear this. Jesus has a soul that is troubled because on the cross, within 24 hours, Jesus will drink the cup of the Father's wrath. Not only will he face the physical degradation and suffering of crucifixion, bad enough, but the, the, the wrath of the Father will be poured out on him. The eternal joy that he's enjoyed with the Father forever, that joy will be severed for our sakes. So in January of 2018 in Montecito, which is a suburb of Santa Barbara, we had an event. It was a, a flood. And everybody knew it was coming, and they tried to evacuate Montecito. And it's estimated that, it, get this, at 3.30 in the morning, five inches of rain fell in five minutes. There had been a fire that summer called the Thomas Fire, and the rain came down, the, the hillsides you know, broke loose, and there was a wall of debris that came down through Montecito that was estimated to be about 15 feet high, traveling at 20 miles an hour. 23 people died. Two people have never been found. I went into the area shortly after. I saw cars that were crushed. They looked like paper mache. I could not tell what kind of car it was. Had no idea. Now, see if you can stick with me on this. That was a, a tragedy. But nobody blames the water for the tragedy. Water was behaving according to its nature. Are you with me? Water always obeys the laws of physics. Always. It always goes downhill. Water is lazy. It just flows with gravity. Get too much water at one time and you've got a huge problem. God, his character is consistent with himself. He always acts according to his character. And God's character of justice and righteousness and holiness is always opposed to everything that is opposed to God's character. God is opposed to sin. God is opposed to unrighteousness, and his wrath will always flow in that direction. Are you with me? God cannot act in disaccord with his character. His wrath has to go somewhere. So why did Jesus have to die for us to be saved? Jesus took on the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could receive the righteousness of Christ that we didn't deserve. 
This is the love of God. He loved us so much that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. Are you with me? That's why his soul is troubled. He's not just up there on the cross. He is receiving the cup of God's wrath. The gospel at one level is really simple. We witnessed a baptism this morning of a seven-year-old who's given her life to Christ. It's very simple, but it's not superficial. It's free, but it is not cheap. Jesus is troubled because at this moment, he is going to vindicate the justice of God by taking it on himself. Now look at verse 31. There's even more here. It's amazing. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. All right, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, write this down, it'll be on the test. In Matthew, the word world comes up 12 times. In Mark, the word world, say world, world, comes up four times. In uh, Matthew, oh, in Mark, four times. In Luke, it comes up seven times. In John, guess what? 61 times. He loves that word world. And you say, well, what does it, why? The word world in the Gospel of John refers to the whole system of humanity that is opposed to the things of God. And that's why it's so stunning when, when we learn from the lips of Jesus that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but receive everlasting life. Jesus is the sin bearer for the world. It looks like he's going to the cross. Ah, it looks like he's going to the cross in defeat. But in fact, he says, the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I am going to draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Now, let's examine that. That sounds like what? When I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all people to myself. Doesn't that sound like everybody will be saved? But it can't mean that because of what we've already heard. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says, hear this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son or does not believe in the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. So when Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself, he doesn't mean I will draw all people without exception. He means I will draw all people without distinction. Jews and Gentiles, Middle Easterners and New York stockbroker types, school teachers from Abilene, Texas, Primitive people in Papua New Guinea, rich people, poor people, young people, old people, thin people, rotund people. I will draw all kinds of people to myself. The question is, will we respond in faith? All right, let's go to our second section. Glory and the troubled soul of belief or unbelief. Verse 36, Jesus hides himself from them. His public ministry is finished. John says, though he had done so many signs among them, they still would not believe in him. And then John has two quotations from the book of Isaiah. The first one comes from Isaiah 53, verse 1. 
What is Isaiah 53 all about? That's the chapter about the suffering servant, the lamb who was slain, the one who was our substitute, the one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He did that on our behalf. He quotes that verse. The context of that, Isaiah says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted Just as there are many who shut their mouths because of him, they were so appalled because he was disfigured beyond human likeness. Isaiah says, so he will sprinkle many nations with the mercy and the love of God. He's going to draw all kinds of people to himself. The second quotation is from the calling of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is a young man, and God calls him to be a preacher. And the people of Israel have become so hardened and so rebellious and so disobedient to God that God is going to send them into exile. He calls Isaiah to preach the message, and he says to Isaiah, you know what, it's not going to work. In fact, your preaching is only going to harden the hearts of people who already have a hard heart. And John says, that's what the people around Jesus have been like. The more signs that he did, the more hardened they became. They would not believe in him. Indeed, they could not believe in him because of the hardness of their hearts. Now, look at verse 42. If you have a pencil, just circle this word. It's so good. Nevertheless, verse 42, in spite of the hardness of heart, Nevertheless, what's it say? Many, even among the authorities, or if you have the NIV, it says the rulers believed in him, but they would not confess it. All right, what do you think? Do these authorities, do these rulers have saving faith? Are they true believers? I don't think so. They believe, but they don't believe. High schoolers, pay attention to this. They believe, but they don't believe. People in your 40s and 50s and 60s, pay attention to this. They believe, but they don't believe. Why? Because they love the glory of their friends more than they love the glory of God. Jesus said in John 5, verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God. Now, there is a strong warning for us in this room, in this passage. It is quite possible to check the boxes. You with me? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Sure, I do. Do you believe he died for my sins? Oh, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe he is God incarnate? Oh, sure, I believe that. Do you believe he's coming again? Yeah, I checked that box too. I check all the right boxes. Is it possible to check the boxes and still not believe in him? Is it possible that at the end we could hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you? Is it possible to believe about him and not believe in him? To know about his saving grace? His saving acts, but not really know his saving love. 
Now, this section begins and ends with glory. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In the middle, Father, glorify your name. At the end, they did not confess it because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. As if to ask us, the reader, what kind of glory are you after? What kind of glory, what kind of price are you willing to pay for glory? Do you see the troubled soul of belief and unbelief that it's possible maybe to hang around even in the church and and say all the right things and maybe even get baptized but not really know Christ? But the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. So, Father, we pray together, glorify your name in all the earth. Glorify your name in our lives. Glorify your name in your Son. Glorify your name in your church, in this church, Lord. May Carmel see your glory through this church. Lord Jesus, the high price you paid for the glory of the Father and for our glory is something that we cannot comprehend, but we pause and simply say thank you and praise you. And I want to pray right now for any in this room who are hanging around the edges, checking the boxes, but they've never submitted to you. Lord Jesus, would you open their hearts that they might see your greatness and turn and be saved. I pray that in the name of Christ, and I pray it for his glory. And God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.